From the Contemporary Music Centre, Ireland, this is Amplify. You're listening to Roger Doyle's Pagoda Charm from his major electroacoustic work, Babel. And for this episode, with the help of this week's guest, musicologist Barbara Dignam, we focus on this work from 1999. Barbara Dignam is Assistant Professor in Music in the School of Theology, Philosophy and Music at Dublin City University. The subject of her PhD thesis was Roger Doyle's Babel, and since then she has written widely about Irish composers and their music, most recently as editor and contributor to Creative Impulses, Cultural Accents, Brian Bordell's Music, Advocacy, Painting and Legacy. This conversation with Barbara was recorded in May 2021 and it's the continuation of an occasional series in Amplify where with the help of expert guests we take a look at some significant works by Irish composers composed in the recent past. And so here is Barbara Dignam in conversation with me Jonathan Grimes about Roger Doyle's Babel. a large-scale electroacoustic work. It's a collection of five CDs containing 103 individual pieces presented across 73 audio tracks, totaling over six hours of music, about six and a quarter hours, so it's pretty substantial. The collection was released in 1999 to mark Roger Doyle's 50th birthday. Babel has become known as his magnum opus, and it is to date his most significant work in terms of duration and scale. And of course, he's known for his large scale works. Roger Doyle began composing in the late 1960s, but he didn't produce his first electroacoustic piece until 1975, when he released Eyes and No and Why Is Kilkenny So Good? whilst on a Dutch government scholarship at the Institute of Sonology in Utrecht. Did you ever try to give him the whole thing up? I knew this, this guy was, and he was, he was telling me how great it was, with him, with how great, how great he felt, and, and so I tried it. His first substantial electroacoustic work then was Thalia, and this features recordings of St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin in 1976. 
but it was his so-called dream labyrinth, uh, rapid eye movements. The piece that Doyle himself actually thought of as the masterpiece that he wanted to produce before he was 30. This piece then became the work that firmly put him on the radar outside of Ireland as a serious electroacoustic composer. Thank you very much. In terms of where Babel fits within Doyle's artistic output, well, if we take the release of Eisenau in 1975 on the one end and his latest electronic opera, Eye Girl, in 2020 on the other, Babel sits pretty much in the middle of his electroacoustic output. Compositionally, though, I would say that it's more significant than that because it maps his early to mid part of his compositional career and also perhaps sets up the direction that much of his output would take after the turn of the century. His cinema for the year collaborations and his electronic operas, for example. And what drew you to the work initially and led you to devote a considerable amount of time into researching it? Because you did your PhD on it, isn't that correct? I did, yeah. My first encounter with Babel was actually as an undergraduate. I came upon the work during my studies in contemporary Irish music with the late Eric Sweeney. Uh, I was instinctively drawn to Babel's energy, its theatricality and the eclecticism and sheer scope of listening materials and listening experiences that it provided. Although at the time, I guess I had no real idea of what any of that meant or how to explain my fondness for the variety of sounds and the different sounds and the different experience that I was having. I later re-encountered the work when I studied electroacoustic composition with Roger Doyle as a postgraduate at Maynooth University. And I found that I was still quite taken with the work and I wanted to immerse myself more in it. Just going back to Roger's background to uh, producing this work, I mean, what led him to go in the direction of producing Babel? Um, well, Roger Doyle recognised, I think, at an early stage in his compositional career that not only was he comfortable expressing himself compositionally in a variety of styles and languages, 
which most likely stems from his diverse musical upbringing. But also he realized that he was innately drawn to an intuitive approach to composition and one that utilized whatever technologies were available to him at a particular moment in time. So around the mid 80s, 1986 or so, he began thinking about how he could possibly present this diverse output in a coherent way. And he came to the realization that he needed to create some form of sonic repository somewhere, as he says himself, to house all of these musics under the one roof. And the solution he came up with was the Babel Tower, where he would flip the biblical narrative. And instead of dispersing his musical languages, he would instead amalgamate them inside this Babel construct. And what's interesting here is that the underlying theme of communication and language remains, but it's one of celebration rather than confusion. And it also recognizes, and I think in a way it charts the development of certain technologies in music composition from the early 1980s to the end of the 90s. So for instance, the Fairlight computer music instrument, um, early MIDI devices, or the precursor to Max MSP music programming language. In terms of large scale works, you know, Roger Doyle has gone on to produce several others, as, as we know, uh, since Babel. Where do you think this interest in these really big compositional projects actually come from? And why is he so drawn to this way of working? I would say that the frame of the large scale work perhaps suits Roger Doyle's characteristic style of composition because he's always seeking out connections between elements and textures, discrete sounds, and across his compositional language. He said many times that he doesn't plan out his compositions in advance. It's not his preferred way of working. Instead, he likes to swim in the material and see where the explorations take him. That process can take time. So whether he wants to explore and bring together multiple musical styles and languages, as in the case with Babel, or he really wants to focus in and draw out one particular aspect, as in Passades, more expansive works, I think, allow for that. They provide it additional space. He also has an interest in the concepts of dream spaces and the supernatural. And these, I think, can lend themselves well to theatrical and expansive exploratory works. As well, because Doyle composes all the time, the scope of his works or these musical landscapes he creates takes time to grow. Coupled with this is his constant revising of material. So works go through multiple phases before finally being determined as complete. So with Babel, revisions continued, older pieces were subsumed into newer ones. We get all of this recontextualization of materials. All the while Doyle was composing new material and also continuing his exploration of musical languages and technologies. I think in a way, 
Roger Doyle's entire compositional career could actually be said to be perhaps one large scale work that he has been journeying through, um, giving us the opportunity in a way to travel along with him and perhaps, you know, sneak a peek now and then. I've often thought there's something very, uh, you mentioned the word intuitive, something very childlike and, in, and intuitive about his approach to composition. He follows his intuition musically, and maybe that's one of the reasons why he becomes very immersed in these projects and they become bigger and bigger and bigger. I would agree. And I, I think it's, again, as, as I said, it, it's about this, process of exploring the material and seeing where it takes you or seeing where the technology and the connection between the technology and the resultant musical material. That's what I find quite interesting and quite fascinating about Babel in particular, because obviously all of these individual pieces were composed in this intuitive process but then they all come together into this coherent amalgamated whole that is in some way lives and breathes because of the interactions and the connections that we find across these pieces. And I think that's what makes this work unbelievably unique in a way, the standing back from the work and just immersing yourself as, as Doyle did but we're at the end of the process and we're immersing ourselves in this tower construct. You know, you can kind of stand back and in, in awe of what he has actually achieved compositionally, irrespective of each individual piece itself. Just the coherent whole is just quite awesome. Absolutely. And just on that, this multiplicity of musical languages and styles, it's central to the work. Tell me about this and how it actually ties into his own musical background and experiences. So on the surface, Babel appears to be an eclectic work that references different musical styles and genres, which is entirely true. But there's much more to it than that. And I think it's what makes the work so impactful. There's a diverse musical multilingualism and expression underpinning the work, which is characteristically contradictory because many of these musics are actually not clear cut. They're in fact layers or fusions of musical styles and genres, either explicitly emulating popular music, as in much of the KBBL radio station entertainment sections or segments. So Brunswick Leaves, for example. The Scoops with their new release, Brunswick Leaves. Or certain world musics. Navigatio infers East African drumming music. Lettuce is my hair well watered, one of my absolute favourites from the work, fuses Arab and Irish folk cultures.
or he presents us with more abstract electronic pieces in the form of music concrete pieces like Mansart, collages like the two entry levels or Cantilena, uh, synthetic electronic music environments like Mercedes Spring, or quite often pieces that are somewhere in between these. And this most likely stems from Doyle's musical background, his collaborations and his experiences. Thinking about it, his young musical life consisted of studying composition with A.J. Potter in the Royal Irish Academy of Music, juxtaposed with playing drums and keyboard in experimental improvisational rock and pop groups in Dublin. So these are somewhat disparate musical worlds. Add to this then the connection with technology and with electroacoustic music that he forged when he engaged with um, Pierre-Henri's Messe pour le temps présent in Paris in 1969. And this, I think, was actually a significant moment because when he returned home, he bought a tape recorder and then he began his experimental journey with technology and composition from that point. But what we find is, is that now another layer is being added to his already diverse creative aesthetic. And then you have his, of course, his explorations with operating theatre and eye contact. So this is music theatre and avant-garde. Um, and Doyle has always noted, of course, too, that he is drawn to the otherworldliness of science fiction, like Blade Runner. The exploration, as I said, of dreams and memories and language and literature. So Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake. He took the title for The Room of Rhetoric in Babel, for instance, from Sebastian Barry's poem. So in terms of how Doyle creates unity to make all of this diverse output work in Babel, what we find is that these musics have a different purpose or role throughout the work, both musically and architecturally, depending on the space or the environment being emulated. So just to give you one example, the concert hall is the space where the public performance of the concert music, Pagoda Charm, takes place. Now, the music itself is highly exotic. Uh, you find pentatonicism and gamelan-esque elements. And later it becomes more abstract and more electronic to signify the fact that we are leaving the concert hall space and moving elsewhere. And we see this exoticism throughout Babel and again in Doyle's later album, The Thousand-Year-Old Boy. In another part of the tower, in one of the chamber music spaces, we find Tim Brady practicing his guitar for the same Pagoda Charm concert. So there's an automatic link there between the two spaces, one public and one private, and the music then being played. So as a whole, then, Babel is presented as this living, breathing entity, which only comes to life whenever we choose to reawaken it from its paused state when we press play. 
And as we move through the tower then, clicking on the different tracks and having these different listening experiences, the links that Doyle creates across these spaces then serves to unify the concept of the Babel Tower and his diverse musical languages. Another thing which the work, you know, reveals is very much the collaborative nature of Roger Doyle's compositional approach and how many pieces are outcomes of collaborations with different musicians and performers he's worked with during that period of time. You've picked out a few of these examples, haven't you? Uh, yeah, uh, well, there are so many across the work, so we could spend quite a significant length of time discussing all of these. But in terms of realising the work, Roger Doyle, of course, conceptualised and composed and recorded and synthesised material. But he was supported in his endeavour by all of these different collaborators I mentioned earlier. Some were involved in the performance recording capacity, others in an improvisatory process, others in drafting radio show content, and others simply by pure chance. But there were either directed by Doyle throughout the process or he perhaps manipulated the recorded or performed content. So, for example, KBBL, the radio station, this didn't exist until Doyle met the Canadian DJ Willie Monigold. And he decided then to construct the Towers radio station. Good morning, everyone. It's KBBL 101.7 FM. I'm Bob Mubarak at 6 a.m. Rise up and shine. Weather today, partly cloudy. 20% chance of some rain. High near 90. Lows around 50. Always a nice day here in the Tower. Stocks opened high on the Essegila Exchange this morning with Clay topping the list of quick starters up seven points. This is Bob Mubarak. You're listening to KBBL. Here's Operating Theatre, and you must be in. Another example is the multidisciplinary artist Cindy Cummins. She was trying out some uh, extended techniques on clarinet, and she left a message on Doyle's answer machine and played some material and he found this really, really interesting and invited her then into the studio to record the material under his direction. So this tells us that he sees the recording studio not only as a means of capturing the sound material, but also as an experimental musical instrument in itself. Another example is during the recording of the stairwell. And this is the stairwell is the place where we eavesdrop on the happenings uh, in different rooms in the tower. The violinist, Juliet Kang, she was improvising in response to the vocal content that had been pre-recorded by um, two of the vocalists, Paul Nash and Lee Hoyerman. And from this then, Doyle produced two pieces that present us with a sort of foreground, background dialogue between the instruments, the voices extra musical material then that uh, Doyle intersperses with them and then the sonic environments themselves. And this, you know, way of working collaboratively with musicians, that that's continued in, in, in some of Roger's practice up to now, up to today, hasn't it? 
Yes, if we even think about his latest work, iGirl, he's working with a number of, of performers on that. And this was obviously a different way of collaborating because this was all recorded, pre-recorded and shared. It wasn't uh, produced in the normal way of bringing people into a studio. So collaboration forms a significant part of his practice as a composer. Another thing that you mentioned earlier is this theatricality that's within the work. That reflects um, another important part of his background, his work in theatre. Yeah, so Babel is inherently theatrical from the concept of the living tower construct that contains lots of different places and spaces that are inhabited by various characters, including real people like the guitarist Tim Brady and the singer Elena Lopez, another operating theatre member, to the events then that actually take place. So the public concert, the private music lesson that we hear off the stairwell, the radio show, as you mentioned, KBBL. Uh, we even find ourselves being transported into the innermost thoughts and memories of a dying man. All of these elements conjure up images for us as the listener. I think Hindemith called this the mirror image in the 50s. What happens is we get a real sense as we move through the tower construct itself that it is alive and that we're a part of that. So I think this theatricality stems from a number of things. Notably Doyle's own interest in experimental performance but also his important relationships with key figures in Irish theatre and film, and his obvious gift then for sonic storytelling. No doubt his touring with rock and pop groups introduced him to the world of performance. His early compositional output was frequently tied in with film and theatre. If you think about his soundtracks for Bob Quinn's silent film Budawani and his documentary series Atlantean, for example, or his piano score for the Gate Theatre's production of Oscar Wilde's Salome, where he actually played the piano live on stage for the performances. A key moment, though, I would say, is his meeting Alwyn Fuere in the late 70s, around 1977, I think. He was looking for an actor or a dancer for the premiere of Thalia. Fuere, as many of your listeners will know, is one of our great stage and film actors. And when they met... I think they discovered in each other a kindred spirit where they both had an innate desire to cross conventional boundaries and explore experimental theatre from different perspectives. Doyle from the music theatre side and Fuere from the visual arts side. Their creative relationship grew from that point. Um, they established the Music Theatre Collective Operating Theatre in 1981 and they've collaborated together ever since. Fuere most recently performing in Doyle's second electronic opera, Eiger. 
But what's really interesting to me is that many of the songs and the compositions from the Operating Theatre Back catalogue, particularly those performed by Fuere, find their way into Babel. So part of my makeup plays back across the KBBL radio station. Johnny's Body at 002 becomes a basement nightclub performance. And the abstract, uh, quite abrasive piece of vertical fissures and stone, which I actually think is quite fresh even today. This formed part of the operating theatre's production called Angel Babel in 1999. Attitude decreasing point three. Attitude decreasing point three. Attitude decreasing point three. Get up off your ass, Urban And clean up that Mesopotamia! something you should burn yourself completely like a good bonfire leaving no trace of yourself Zigorak Stardust There's a lot of quotation and references to material across Babel. I mean, is is this particular approach common to Doyle's other works? When Doyle premiered Thalia in 1976, he mentioned that when his process of working intuitively with material works successfully, a kind of domino effect occurs. I think he called it a chain reaction where lots of these connections can arise, sometimes completely taken in by surprise. So to give you a sense of how this works in Babel then, Babel as an entire work is wholly self-referential. Doyle quotes and references the places, spaces and radio material that he's created across the entire work. So I mentioned Tim Brady practicing the Pagoda Charm music a little earlier. To add another layer to this, we can also hear snippets of KBBL's Surface du Monde show playing on the radio in the background as Brady is practicing, so it's inside in his room. We can also hear a piano lesson wafting through the walls into Brady's room. And this piano lesson is heard in the stairwell. So apart from yet another musical link, 
we can actually determine then that Brady's room is close to the stairwell of the tower and to the piano lesson room. This is, you know, sonic architecture at its best. It's sonic architecture at work. And there are lots of examples of this to be found in Babel. And I had lots of fun during my uh, time researching this work, actually teasing out all of these different uh, connections and trying to uh, build the, the tower in my, in my uh, mind as I went along. Doyle also uses what he calls sample replacement and the construction of this Babel sound alphabet to create new material for mould. And whilst we may begin to think that there's some, some link there, that we possibly recognise something that we've heard before, the causal origin is not actually as easy to determine all the time. And it can take time and many concentrated listenings then across the work to actually figure the puzzle out. And that's part of the enjoyment of this work, I think. You learn something new or you make a new connection each time you come back to the work, each time you return to it. Another thing that you mentioned when we were discussing this beforehand was this idea of musical nostalgia. Talk to me about that. So in general, as a composer, Doyle frequently returns to concepts of memory uh, the past, dreams, and futuristic imaginary spaces. But given the nature of the work as a collection of his artistic output over this 20-year period, I would argue that Baba was inherently nostalgic from the outset. It's a wholly autobiographical work, a treasure trove, if you like, of his musical development. And Doyle himself has said that Babel could potentially never end. He could simply just keep adding new material to the expanding tower construct. I personally can think of later compositions that would fit nicely. You know, take his album, The Electrification of Night, for instance. The title track here could just as easily be another temple music as it could reside comfortably as a contemplative piece heard during the night show. His Time Machine album as well, with its selection of telephone answering machine messages from the the, the late 80s. This would fit absolutely perfectly in Babel. Hello, Roger. This is Pavel. This is a message from Pavel. Please recall that the first track of the year, 1989, September the 14th. If you do not reply in 10 months, we shall go back in time five million years and look for you. But there are nostalgic spaces and places embedded within the musical landscape of Babel too. Uh, examples are Farewell to Bray, you know, Bray is obviously where Doyle lives, uh, Mansard, the so-called childhood memory room. And as I mentioned earlier, his self-referential approach in Babel means that we hear material we have already experienced elsewhere in the work. So we're constantly reminded of our own past listening experiences. And this in its, its own way provokes our own sense of nostalgia in the work. The intentional use of analog and what would now be seen as redundant digital technologies and the resultant sound from them also in a way contributes to the nostalgic feel in the work. There are cultural references to the past too. 
you know, the confused talking clock in KBBL, for example, many of us remember being woken up to that robotic voice of, you remember that triangular shaped talking clock in the 1980s. overarching link of Babel to biblical times and references to Babylonian characters and places also adds to the sense of this work being linked to a past history of sorts, even though it was released at the end of the 20th century. But that in itself is nostalgic, of course. And yet the futuristic elements of the work create these contradictions that I mentioned earlier. But I think Roger Doyle is he'd be happy with the different interpretations of, of the work. And finally, Barbara, after over 20 years, how do you think the work has aged? That's a difficult question to answer because on a personal level, I'm still fascinated by this work and I find it reveals itself to me in different ways each time I return to it. As a whole, though, the work has remained unchanged in terms of its fixed presentation throughout its relatively short musical history. It is, however, I would say, experienced in a new musical time in contemporary Ireland or elsewhere. And it's engaged now by a different type of listener, a more informed, a more flexible and open minded listener who is aware of technology's use in music creation but not necessarily in terms of serious electroacoustic music or its compositional attributes. Roger Doyle himself didn't think the work had aged well in a sense when I spoke with him back in 2008 when I was conducting my PhD research. He felt in particular that after almost 10 years at that point in the public domain the KBBL content had dated more quickly than that of the Babel pieces, particularly due to its 1980s synth pop feel. But actually looking at it now in the context of 2021, I would actually argue to the contrary because many contemporary pop songs are now looking back to the 80s for inspiration. I would say though that Babel is indeed a work of its time. But for me, its significance actually lies in its laying the foundations for an electroacoustic uh, aesthetic in Ireland. You know, it set the broad parameters for what electronic based composition could actually be. Doyle's compositional approaches speak directly to many elements and processes, you know, within contemporary composition in Ireland, particularly where we've seen the re-emergence of a DIY aesthetic that has flourished post-economic downturn all along the lines of really what Doyle, Fuera and others were doing in operating theatre in the 1980s. And because it contains so many different styles and fusions of music and places the serious with the parody, as you mentioned, and there's lots of parody and lots of humour and good nature in this work, as well as those serious electronic uh, pieces. It's all encased within this living, breathing entity of the Babel Tower, I think there's always going to be something there to take away when you dip into this work. 
So while there are elements of the past there, and some pieces do sound of their time, there are others that I would say that are still quite fresh in terms of their sound. And I think I would leave the final decision maybe on this to each individual and encourage people to actually listen to the work and draw their own conclusions and interactions um, and have their own engagement with the work because you can have quite a personal engagement with this work, I think. And that's part of, of the joy of uh, engaging with it and listening to it. Barbara, that is an amazing insight into such an iconic and strong work by Roger Doyle. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jonathan. Barbara Dignam on Roger Doyle's Babel. My thanks to Barbara for such an engaging conversation about this piece. You'll find links to all the music used in the show notes for this podcast and do visit Roger Doyle's Bandcamp page where you can listen to and purchase music from his entire collection, including his latest releases, iGirl and Finnegan's Wake. Special thanks also to my colleague Keith Fennell for his editing work on the episode. We'll be back again next week with more. Until then, thanks for listening.